Good Thursday morning, everyone. Hope that you and family are keep, keeping well and safe. I'm Sophia, and in line with the circuit breaker measures, Spectrum brings our events online to you, bringing the community together through learning at Spectrum. So this is our first breakfast session webinar in May, and we'll be hosting another next Thursday. Some of you may have visited Ono Spectrum. We offer well-designed workspaces for community, experience and connections to expand your business. So for today's breakfast session webinar, we are very privileged to hear from Lisa Clank, CEO of Spanless Cosmetics, to share with us on how to start and scale a million dollar e-commerce business. So beauty tech company Spanless Cosmetics is operating in more than 10 countries. So the lady behind its success Lisa Clank is an award-winning entrepreneur. She was Singapore's youngest business guru at the age of 28. Her story was featured in the Lady Boss publication. She won 2018's Asia's Greatest CEO 28, uh, awarded by Asia One and URS International. So Lisa will share later more about her journey to success as well. So participants, if you have questions, please post them onto the Q&A window. Lisa will address them during the session. And over to you, Lisa. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for making the time to join me in this webinar. Uh, I'm gonna start playing my slides so that it will be visible to everyone as well. Yeah, okay. So um, today, basically the topic we wanna share about is starting and scaling a million dollar e-commerce business. Now, a lot of people you know have already started e-commerce business, especially during this uh, lockdown period, because people have more time to venture anything that's digital. But uh, apart from that, I want to coach you today a little bit about what you need to know when it comes to scaling a business. So I'm going to uh, just turn the video off so that we can focus on the slides, uh, but feel free to ask me questions. I'll be addressing them in between the slides, um, as well as covering as many questions as I can before the end of my webinar. Uh, so now everybody, I know that some of you have some ideas. Now let me just brief you a little bit about how I got started with my business. Now the company that I'm heading is actually a beauty tech company, which is called Spanless Cosmetics. Now some of you might have followed me already on LinkedIn, where I share a lot about my business, my entrepreneurship journey, business articles, and motivational postings. Uh, but more so, let me tell you a little bit about this business and how I scaled it in a period of less than four years. So I am based in Singapore. So one day I decided to start a beauty e-commerce business. Before that, just a little back into my past, uh, I started a business, I started entrepreneurship uh, when I was 27, very much later in my 20s, and after I became a mother of three children. So I thought one day that I want to earn something. Everybody's on social media selling something. I want to earn extra income for my family. And that's how everything got started. I don't have a bachelor degree, although I do lecture universities nowadays. Uh, but I thought to myself that if everybody's taking the opportunity to monetize from technology and social media, so I started my first business selling hair clips. I started my first e-commerce business selling hair accessories for children. And I used social media to build followers, uh, particularly mothers at that time, and start shopping. Now, I come into the mindset that I was just going to earn $500, which is actually a very small amount of money, but it was a lot to me considering that I'm a single mother. 
But I'm so surprised that very quickly, as long as you have a community built up, the transaction flow was massive. And within two years, uh, we were transacting 100, 200,000 per year. And by 2011, two years after that, investors came in and we expanded to also supply physical retail stores like Toys R Us, OG, John Little, Parkinson's in Southeast Asia at more than nine countries. So I realized that e-commerce is a very, very booming business. So in 2016, I opened up a beauty tech company, which is in the beauty space. So if you're looking for skincare, hair care, you know, uh, cosmetics. So basically, that's what our beauty camp company does. The only difference with Spendless Cosmetics compared to another beauty company is that Spendless Cosmetics actually contain resellers. That means our company doesn't sell direct to a customer. We're not a B2C company. We're actually B2B2C. But the B in the middle is actually individuals. So our company train, recruits, motivate, and incentivize individuals like stay-at-home mother, university students to become social media influencers. And because of that, we give them a website where they promote beauty product for our suppliers and they earn cash commission, but they never need to leave house because the supplier does a full drop shipping. So it's a drop shipping model, but it is supported with training as well as uh, equipping and enabling every single one of our resellers with a beauty website. Uh, and that went on to 10 countries. So today I'm going to coach you how I build a platform that is sustainable and how I replicate that so that it becomes a global, it becomes global. So just, this is just a bit of write up as you can read on my screen. I took a couple of awards. I lectured universities a fair bit as well. And I spoke at over hundred business summits the last two years. Okay, let's start with starting your e-commerce business. Of course, there's the first thing whenever somebody said they want to start a business is that they have to sell something. Obviously, because if we want to make a money, we want to make some money, we need to know what we can offer. It could be a service or it could be a product. So if you've been toying about what to sell, what to sell, how to sell, what to sell, here are some tips that might help you finalize the item that you intend to sell. So if you want to start an e-commerce business, you need to understand the landscape of demand around you. So now there's three areas you need to look at. Either number one, you start a business out of passion. Out of passion. For example, example, you want to start a product that you love doing so much. For example, craft. So you like to do something that's crafty. For example, you like to sew your own bag example so you love it so much uh, okay you love the process you love the product you, and therefore that is where your passion lies and then you can start selling this product based on your passion because you know you're never going to get sick of doing this so you know that 10 years down the line you're still going to be as passionate definitely something you can see yourself doing for the long term you can definitely sell that as a service or a product number two some people start business because of demand so it's not about passion. They realize that there's a gap in the market and they want to fulfill that gap. So suddenly everybody, for example, is looking to develop a website. So straight away, the business owner decides, well, I'm going to learn how to build a website, get qualified and provide the service. So that business owner may or may not like website building, may not be something that he's really passionate about, but he upgraded his skills to be able to service the customers because there is demand in the market. So the question is, Lisa, should I pick passion or should I pick demand? The truth is passion is slower to make money. I'm not saying it will not make money. It will, but it takes longer time. 
because your passion may not be something that people want at that point of time. You might need time to educate someone. So for example, you're passionate about organic toiletries. But in Singapore, as an example country, a lot of us need to be educated first on what is the advantage of using something organic. So because of that, people are missing information to act into buying your product. Demand, however, you are basically offering something that the community or the landscape of business around you are already asking for. And because of that, the moment you put out your service, people will straight away appoint you. People doesn't need to be educated why digital marketing service is important. They are already sourcing and looking out for digital marketers. So therefore, demand will turn money faster. But demand changed by landscape. So this year, a certain service could be in demand. Next year, it might be a different service. So demand could also be a shorter term business, but high revenue generating. Passion could be longer sustainable, which means you can run it for 10 years, but it takes time to build. It takes time to build and earn a sustainable income. So it might be three years before you actually earn a very good income by profiting from your passion. Demand you might earn in three days. So, but the best, of course, the jackpot is if you can combine both, the demand is your passion. So if you have a lot of passion, for example, in design, you like design work and you can do graphic design because you love it. You do e-commerce website design because you love it. You can develop coding. So when your passion is in line with what the market is looking for, then most likely you're going to love your job and you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to run this for a long time, keeping you sustainable, profitable, and uh, high income revenue for years to come. So these are the three things I want you to consider. So if you have already thought of ideas, hey, you know what, Lisa, I want to sell, I want to sell cakes. I want to sell cake. So ask yourself, is this something you're passionate about? Is this, is this a skill you already have? Or do you need to upgrade your skill? Is it something that you think you are going to run for the next 10 years? Do you see yourself in the next two years, even running, baking is every day? Do you see yourself happy in that position? Or, or do you think in the future you're going to expand so that you can outsource it to other people? Demand, is there a lot of people asking for baked goods uh, or cakes or uh, this kind of products in the market? So you want to see whether the community around you. Now, the demand, I don't want you to think as a, a wide landscape. You, uh, of course, you're going to tell me, but these are everybody's looking for a birthday cake. Now, the keyword is not everybody because most likely you are not going to service everybody because you won't be able to fulfill the demand as a single player. It's always best, you know, not to monopolize a sector. So there will be competitors and the pie of the market will be shared between people. The demand that we're talking about right now is in your immediate landscape. So which means your immediate circle. So your immediate friends, your immediate social network, your immediate physical network. So are these people most likely the people that is going to consider buying this product from you? And if you think about it, okay, I've got 10 friends, I surveyed them, I gave them a survey, and about eight of them said that they're gonna buy from me. That means you already have a demand in the landscape of the environment around you. So don't worry about demand of the world. Okay, but Lisa, everybody needs digital marketing services. It's not about the world because you take time to market your business to the world. But if you start a business, you wanna earn money as soon as possible. So if you look at your inner circle, your internal network, how many people out of the people you know would most likely want this service or this product? That you can use as a basis to determine whether there is a demand in your current landscape. 
So after you decide what you want to sell, you I know already, this is what I want to sell. Now I'm going to set up my e-commerce system. So now e-commerce, of course, it's the easiest way to do transaction. Uh, other than e-commerce, some people also set up online inquiry form, landing page. So these are all substitutes. But let's say we talk about a fully-fledged e-commerce system because you want to give your customer a nice shopping experience online. Of course, why online? Obviously, online you have no rental costs. I mean, sustaining a website is far, far cheaper than having a retail store. Uh, and secondly, online, what I love so much, it doesn't know boundaries. A physical store, you can only, what, entertain 40 customers a day. But on your website, you'll be entertaining, I don't know, 400 customers while you're asleep. So imagine countries all over the world, anyone with internet access is able to find you on the internet, www, World Wide Web, and start shopping as long as you give them a seamless shopping experience. Now, these are some of the major factors. There could be more factors. There could be less factors depending on your service. So in this case, number one is a well-designed interface. Now, outlook is very important. Believe it or not, even though we are not superficial, a lot of people are naturally, right? Whenever you see a product that's well-packaged, it just appeals to you more than a product that's badly packaged. Whenever you see a product uh, photograph on social media, and let's say a cupcake, and the cupcake was photographed, it's so well taken, it naturally appealed to you more visually than a photograph of a cupcake, which probably tastes nicer, but was not well taken in terms of picture and lighting. So it's natural for human to be visually attracted to something that looks good. Whether it's actually good, later on we will work it out, but do you know that people only have a limited attention span of eight seconds a couple of years ago, it was 12 seconds. Now it's only eight seconds. If somebody jump on your website, the first eight seconds that they spend on your website will determine whether they're going to stay, which means shopping and browsing, or they will leave. And if they leave after eight seconds or before eight seconds, if they leave, that means you are unable to attract them visually. Most likely that person is not coming back. So well-designed interface is very important. If you are not good in, well, in, in website design, you either try to learn, uh, get, get second opinion on what people think about your design, or you put aside a budget and invest in a developer. If you don't have a lot of income and you say, Lisa, I don't have that much capital, I can't pay $2,000 for a website, then I want you to be very creative. How about getting a freelancer from a developing country? So instead of paying a Singaporean, for example, Singapore has a very high standard of living. Uh, so if you pay a Singaporean to build a website, it will cost you $2,000. But if you find somebody in India or a freelancer in Bangladesh or in Nepal, you're getting the same quality work, in fact, probably better. And, and you'll be paying far cheaper, far cheaper. I can get a website done from my designer, who's I'm employed full time now uh, in Bangladesh, and I can get a website dying for as low as 200 US dollars. Now that is far cheaper than 2000 if you were to invest in your local freelancers. Now I'm not saying you're not supposed to support local businesses, but hey, if you're a startup, you don't have much capital, we have to be creative in finding ways to cut back as much as possible. Now next, good product photography, again, on the same point of people being superficial, make sure you are visually attractive. So have a good product photography, invest in it. Now, some of you say, but Lisa, I don't have money. I cannot have a photograph in a photo studio. I don't have the capital for it. To be honest, when I started out as well, I also don't have that much money. So what I did was I went to a nice cafe 
very nice setting, marble table, very nice lighting, you know, and that's where I take photos of my products. And I was selling candles. So I had, uh, it's one of my side businesses. So I had candles arranged on their marble table, you know, bought a cup of tea, a couple of cakes to decorate the, the table setting. And because of their natural lighting and the ambience and renovation of the entire place, it creates a very nice marketing catalog, you know, photo. So you don't necessarily have to set it up in a studio. So you can also set up in a nice setting at a place like a cafe that you frequent at. Uh, next, competitive pricing. Now, competitive pricing doesn't mean that you have to offer the lowest, 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 lowest in the market that you don't even have margin for yourself. Now, you need to make money as a company for some reason because you, unless of course you get invested uh, for cash money to burn, but you need to target profit as much as possible. Now, profit cannot be 1% or 2%. That is running on very thin ice that you can collapse anytime. So if you want to have a competitive pricing, it's basically taking on average. So for a certain product that you have, and you do a research market to realize what is the average price that people are selling. For example, you sell a Kindle, and on average, people are selling from $50 to $85. So you can pick an amount between this that is make you look attractive, uh, at the same time, cover your cost of the business overhead. So let's say you are unable to match $50 because it's absolutely no margin. It's still okay to go $65 or $70 and then offer promotion once in a while for giving festive season. So competitive pricing doesn't mean that you are giving the lowest in the market. Of course, you want to go as low as possible because you don't want to be portrayed or showcased as an expensive provider. Then nobody wants to shop with you. But you also need to make sure that you have enough margin to sustain your business. Otherwise, you're not going to last very long. Next, easy to order and add to cart. So don't make it complicated. So if people like something, they add to cart and they proceed to pay. Now, various payment options, it's up to you. Now, various payment options, what I meant is just credit and debit card options. You can have American Express, Masters, or uh, Visa. But if you want to add on extra options like cash on delivery, COD, uh, or bank transfer, just make sure that you are able to handle the administration for that because it could be a lot of paperwork if you have 50 customers who pay by bank transfer and you need to check their statements. Or if it's cash on delivery and people order then change their mind after you send out the dispatch, you know, delivery guy, then you will bear losses. So be smart, try different payment methods and work out what's best for your business. But generally, I personally feel that um, just having a credit card options as many as possible uh, and PayPal as well would, uh, would be enough to accommodate to, to most customers. Various delivery services. Now, when I say delivery services, which means giving people the option to reduce or save costs when it comes to delivery. So, for example, if somebody is ordering one product, let's say a lipstick, um, instead of offering an expensive courier for $5 using a driver, you can always use a rider or a courier company. So, therefore, small packages can save money because if somebody's just buying a lipstick, I mean, they're not spending a lot. So, they wouldn't want to pay exactly the same amount for delivery services. Um, and also, for example, delivery services in terms of emergency. So, urgency ones, 24-hour shipping, 2-hour shipping. Now, the company that does this very well is Amazon. I think you heard about Amazon Prime. So, basically, Amazon, you can either have it in 24 hours or you can take the 2-hour service and Amazon delivers to you in 2 hours. I think that what makes them successful in the US and the UK because obviously Amazon Prime promises next day and Amazon Now promises two hours, which is really fast. 
and people love it. You know, they buy and they know two hours later, someone's going to ring their doorbell and say, hey, here you go. Um, customer support, you can always integrate a messenger at the site where people can direct message via the website or a uh, proper channel where they can raise a ticket or ask you a customer service inquiry. Because sometimes people are not sure what they want to buy, so they have a lot of questions. If your service is expensive, for example, your digital marketing service is $500 a month. So these are expensive services. You can expect people to ask you a couple of questions uh, before they decided to engage on paying $500. So because of that, naturally, you need to make it easy for them to contact you and ask questions so you can clear their doubts on the spot so that you, know, you can strike when the iron is hot, hopefully convert them into customer immediately. Uh, and lastly, very popular loyalty reward program. The reason is, of course, to retain customers, hoping that they come back. Not only that, but also refer other people in their network to shop with you. So if somebody's always buying from you $100 every month, you know, investing their money to buy products from you, you might want to consider implementing the loyalty reward program so people gain points that they can redeem, collect, and redeem another day. Now, redemption is a very interesting part because you are the player. So you are the, I mean, you are the game setter. So you can decide how much people should redeem. So you can decide, okay, for every $10 spent, people get 10 points, which is equivalent to the value of $1. But when people redeem the product, let's say they want to redeem a, uh, a mascara, and a mascara would usually be $20, okay, which is about 200 points. But because it's your platform, you can make it 600 points in order to claim a complimentary mascara. So for somebody who wants to claim that, they will be collecting points for quite some time, therefore shopping with you for quite some time. So you can control this. This is how the airlines does it. You know, you collect miles and if you don't use it for flights, you can redeem a rice cooker or a vacuum cleaner. All these are overpriced in terms of points conversion, but also because so that people continue to shop with them to accumulate more points. Next is, of course, social media marketing. This era is very different than the landscape we talked about 20 or 10 years ago. Last time, it's just about pitching. You remember last time how people sell you a service? They knock on your doors. They draw up flyers. They pass flyers on the street, on MRT stations. So it's always about physical contact. But nowadays, it's not physical contact. There are many businesses that have turned millions of dollars without even leaving home, without even meeting a customer. But reason is because what they did was they focused investments or they focused time on social media marketing where they built communities online. Now, I want to give you an example because a lot of people don't understand what this means. They think that, oh, I just, I just set up a Facebook page and uh, people will follow me, right? It's as simple as that. No, community means there's engagement. That means people don't just like your post or read your post, but people respond to your post. And the reason why people respond is so that it kicks off the algorithm to attract more people to know your brand. If people go to your post and have no reaction, they're not coming back to your page. I'm sorry to disappoint you, but that's the way it is. So how do you build a community online? So I'm going to give you an example. Let's say you run a beauty e-commerce business. You're selling beauty products, skincare. Let's put skincare products. So instead of selling the skincare product on social media, what you're going to do is you're going to set up a community, a community of people who will now, instead of you selling to them, you are sharing information about them. So for example, I today, I do a video where I share people how to use a face mask. 
one of the face masks that I sell on my website, I'm going to use it and I'm going to show it as a video tutorial to other people how they can use it and therefore they can get to see live results of how my face look like after I use a face mask. And then people get won over that way. They're engaging, they're asking questions, wow, that's amazing. I mean, what kind of mask is this? When people ask you that question, that's when you sell because you know people are going to buy it already. So it's about sharing. So you sell lipsticks, example. Instead of telling people, hey, buy this lipstick, it's $10 on my website. How about you run a campaign? Hey, here are 10 different colors of lipstick. Why don't you comment which is your favorite color and why? And then people will start commenting and say, oh, I love red, uh, burgundy, and I love nude. And somebody else will say something else. And after that, knowing what they want and what they like, let's say I comment and I said, well, I really love red lipstick. That's my favorite color. So what you can do is you can private message me or you can straight away reply my comment and say, hey, do you know that we also have a lot of red lipstick on our website that you might like to try? So therefore, it's very personalized. You're not asking me to shop on your site, but you're giving me something that I really like because I told you. So this is community building, high level of social engagement. So you're sharing people tips that they can apply or they can try, but not forcing them to buy. But because they love the fact that you're sharing, they build a bond with you. So in the end, whatever product they want, they rather ask you or they tell you what they like and you can propose to them and they won't find it offensive. Uh, running surveys to understand the landscape. I know people say data is important, right? People say, oh no, we need to capture data because that's how we plan our marketing campaign in the future. But seriously, trust me, if, uh, if, if in the fashion or the beauty business, running surveys doesn't really help. So for example, you run a fashion e-commerce. I mean, running surveys really helps. Data in the past doesn't help. So if you're running a fashion e-commerce business and you're selling clothes, example, and or you're selling bags, and you're asking a land, uh, if you are selling, if you're asking people, if you based on the data, sorry, if you based on the data that let's say the last one month, a lot of people has been buying a blue color bag, okay, a blue bag. And that doesn't mean that the following month, people will also buy a blue bag. That data doesn't help you to cater the future marketing campaigns. If people have been buying, let's say, you know, 60% of the, of the tops that they buy are in the colors of brown and nude. But that doesn't mean that's what they're going to buy next month. So that data is useless in terms of fashion sense. So the only way to get current data is to ask people currently, what are they looking for? So if you start a new month and you want to do social media marketing, you ask the people, hey, uh, we are coming up with a new collection. I was just wondering what kind of colors are you looking out for to buy this month? And people will comment and say, well, I, I was looking for something purplish. Uh, oh, I want something black because it's how my wardrobe has always been. Or I like light colors, so maybe like white and beige. The beige. And when people give you that answers as current answers, that is the information you need. It doesn't matter what color people buy 30 days ago or 60 days ago. What matters is what people will buy 30 days from now and 60 days from now. And to only get to only get this answer, we're not telepathy. We, we, we cannot dig into people's brains. The only way to do it is to ask a question. But of course, before you run your service and asking questions, you already have to build a community and high level of social engagement. And after that, of course, once you know what people want, because people told you already, now is the time for you to plan your marketing campaigns. So if you know that people want to buy something purplish, 
So next month, you can sell in a set, maybe a purple lipstick uh, with a purple sweater or a purple skirt with a purple top uh, or a purple shoe that match a purple bag. So you can come up with this kind of sets that can now attract people because of what they want. And your sales will skyrocket because you give people exactly what they're asking for. Um, and lastly, it's boosted advertisement. So you have some capital, some small money, feel free to inject a little bit of money to boost some advertisement so people know about the product. Now, when it comes to advertisement, right, that doesn't mean you are boosting promotional uh, offers. And that's the thing, people don't buy if you put it out to their face to, to sell. People love to buy, but it's how you sell it to them. If you're boosting advertisement by telling people to spend money, it may or may not work. But for example, if you're boosting advertisement, you doing a, a makeup tutorial and the products that you use to do your makeup tutorial, uh, it's probably more worth it because that ad will reach out to a lot of people who do not categorize that as spam because they want to learn how you do your makeup. And then because of that, they are bonded with your video and most likely will try out the products that you test. So for me, all the sharing content, content meant to be shared instead of selling, are the best to be boosted uh, in terms of money investment. If you don't, if you don't want to boost anything at all, it's also okay. There are many businesses that's built up on genuine followers that doesn't even need any capital boost. So you can also skip this part. So this is the stage of how you need to consider when it comes to starting your e-commerce business. The next half is going to talk about how to scale it. Starting is easy. Okay, okay. It's, it may not be easy if this is your first business, but I tell you, once you start your first e-commerce business, the next time you start a second one or a third one, it's going to be easier. And not surprisingly, anybody who do successful with e-commerce business will always have a second or third other business in the e-commerce business. Uh, business. So let's say today you might be selling, example, a beauty product and you realize that e-commerce is easy. I build communities, I share, and then you'll be tempted to set up another company, e-commerce, and it could also be a service, let's say a cleaning services. And then you might also be tempted to do a third one. And one person can have as many e-commerce websites as they want. And my recommendation is never to mix things that is not related. So I don't want you to have one website where you offer, for example, uh, digital marketing together with selling lipstick and skincare. It's best to have separate e-commerce because the community is not the same. So therefore, it's very, very targeted to a specific niche or community and customers. So you as not to confuse them. So whenever I do personal branding coaching, I have a website for it. And when I do beauty e-commerce, my tech company have a website for it. And I also have an educational platform. So that's running certificates and courses and workshops. That is another platform altogether. So I have multiple e-commerce platforms. And you, when you start the first one, trust me, you might enjoy the journey and you know how to do it better. You master the skill, you'll be opening several. And there's nothing wrong with opening several because, of course, as you know, in these times of crisis, it's always best to have a side hustle and to have multiple income generators. So the more money you earn, the more money you have to invest and the more money you can save for your retirement or to be rich. Uh, okay, next one, we're talking about scaling it. What does scaling really mean, guys? Okay, uh, uh, scaling is to grow in size, as simple as that. So if something that generates you $100,000 a year, what happened if you made it a million dollars a year? If something that is currently serving the customers of Singapore, what happened if we scale it and we make it servicing 15 other emerging markets? So the question is, how do we, we make something bigger, much, much bigger? 
and the reason of course of course when your company grow bigger you have to think about human resource expansion so we'll talk about that later on i'm not saying that but lisa i'm only one person i can't scale a thousand customers a month don't think about you doing it as a single person if you have the intention or the business uh, objective to scale then you should be considering expanding every aspect of the business including of course fulfillment including human resources including including expertise and departments so therefore you can accommodate to this scaling effect if you're not ready to hire people if you're not ready to raise investments you're not ready to enter a market you don't know then probably you can stick to having just an e-commerce business for yourself instead of scaling it and having it as a multi-operational business so three things to think about, okay? Number one, potentially raise capital investments. Now, this is very simple. If you have $10, $10 can become $100 because it's 10 times growth. But imagine instead of $10, you have 1 million. So 10 times growth will potentially be 10 million. The simple math is the more you have, the more you invest in a business, the faster and the more margin uh, and the more revenue it will continue to earn. So businesses with low capital, 1,000, 2,000, Chances are probably you make maximum 100K a year. But businesses that start with 100,000 a year have a higher potential of turning over a million dollars in the same, same fiscal year. So think about it. How much capital do you want to invest in your business? And I know some of you will say, well, I don't have that much money because I, I cannot spend all my savings on this and I, I don't have $100,000. And that's why you call in investors. <laughs> so the investors will come in and they're the one who's going to raise capital investment. So that's what my company does. To be honest, when Spendless Beauty Tech started in 2016, it was just an idea. It was a simple platform that has started in Singapore for four months, but it's still very limited. We didn't have a lot of capital, so we didn't have as many customers and resellers on the program. However, in April 2016, uh, I met a family office uh, and I told them about this idea about Spanish potentially going global. We can switch all stay-at-home mothers in the world to become, um, to become a beauty reseller or a social media marketer. So then they can start promoting beauty products and earn commission and, and, and income for their family. And that was the idea I told to the family office in April 2016. And I had my company evaluated at that time uh, based on my forecast for uh, about 5 million uh, Singapore dollars. And this family office funded 10%, which is about half a million dollars. And because of that half a million dollars, in six months, Spendless became a company in six countries. So you see, if I were to use my own money, I could never grow into six countries in six months. I could never, I could never do it. But because there's an increased capital investment, which means the capital will be reinvested to expand marketing line, to hire salespeople, to then invest in better technology and replication of the technology. So in the end, everything gets achieved 10 times faster rate because of capital that became the catalyst and accelerator. So this money is used to expand manpower and area of expertise. Just think about you. If you, one person, can pack 50 orders a day, just imagine if you have 50 people packing. In the same day, in one day, if you're alone can pack 50, just imagine if you have 50 people packing for you. That's how much parcels that can go out. So if you alone can only take photograph of 10 items on a, to be placed on your website, just imagine you have a team of five people. How many inventory can they list on your website? Again, if you're alone, can only attend one roadshow, can only run one roadshow per weekend. 
But imagine if you have a team of 10 people, how many roadshows can they run all together in one weekend? Just think about the expansion in terms of multiplication. Launch more products and events, increase marketing efforts, upgrade technology. So this would be the four core reasons why you would raise capital investments. Now, if you want to delve deeper into capital investment, just get in touch with me. I do have some courses that helps educate you how to trade equity, raise money, evaluate your company, and exit plan for your business. So, but that will be another, another course. So achieve more results faster. This is why you can see that some businesses scale like nobody's business, super, super fast. For example, just take a local story. For example, Love Bonito. I'm sure some of you know about Love Bonito. And they've been around for nine years, starting from a very small business, selling pre-love clothes at flea markets. But at some point around these nine years, probably around three years ago, they managed to raise millions. And because of that millions, today Love Bonito is in five countries with at least 10 retail stores and very well renovated, hiring about 150 employees. How does that happen in a period of three years when the six years before nothing much happened is because of capital investments. Now, again, some of you would think, Lisa, I don't want capital investment. It's too much obligation. I just, I just want to run my e-commerce business and earn 100K a year. That's also okay. So it doesn't mean that you have to compete with every big company just because you are in the e-commerce business. You can keep it as low as possible, easy, manageable, whatever that's convenient for you, as long as it remains profitable. You're fine. Okay, there's some people I know who earns good profit, 100K a year, and is happy running it as a partner with his wife or just, you know, alone as a solopreneur. Also, okay. So next is penetrating new market. Okay, it's very simple. So we've got a question here later. I'll be answering very soon. Um, now, penetrating new markets. This is, I tell you, this is the game changer for me, for me. I, I started my business because I was a stay-at-home mother and I wanted to earn extra income for my family. And I, I started our business not knowing how to do a website and I uh, don't know how to source for suppliers. I don't know what is the competitive price in the market. So you can see that I'm, I'm because I was a stay-at-home mom for seven years, so you can imagine my business acumen is zero. My whole family has no entrepreneurs ever and I don't even have a degree. So I was a dropout at uh, college. Um, so because of that, I realized that that's the problem of every mother as well in the world. Every mother wants to start a business, wants to make money from technology, wants to have a website, wants to have inventory, be their own boss, but they don't have the skills. They want an extra income like I did. So I went to learn everything. You know, I learned to build a website, social media and everything. But now that's why I developed uh, Spendless Cosmetics so that other people can generate a website. To make it very um, easy to understand, Okay, this is how my company works. Let's say you're a stay-at-home mother in Indonesia. And for years, you have been struggling for credit card bills. You have a lot of payment to do and you couldn't go to work because you have children, example. So you just go to Spendless Cosmetics Indonesia. You sign up. And once you sign up, within 30 seconds, you will be given a website personalized to you, integrated to your social media, has your picture, and that has, has a personalized domain. So now you become a beauty entrepreneur, having a beauty e-commerce platform, well-designed with all the add to cart system and payment methods, all in 30 seconds. That's what my company does. So we turn people to become business owners by owning a franchise or a subsidiary of our business. But we handle everything, it's hassle-free. We ship, we deal with the suppliers, we drop ship the products. 
So as a reseller, all they need to do is socially market the website to get more sales. And they can log in, check how many sales they get and how many commission they get. So that was the idea, but I was only planning for Singapore because I don't know any other country. I, um, I don't travel much, especially not when you have three kids. Um, so I was just trying to do it for Singapore mothers. But then, but then when I share about my vision on LinkedIn, especially uh, in 2017, people come to me and said, can, can we franchise this? And I'm like, uh, what do you mean franchise? People say, can, can we have the same technology for the mothers in our country? And that's when I thought about it and I said, wow, that is the fastest way to expand. So instead of me, you know, venturing into a country I don't know of, how about I penetrate a new market by franchising, which means I replicate the business. So I have a proper standard operating procedure, how I run the business in Singapore, how I did the marketing in Singapore. And then that becomes the guideline for somebody else to run the exact same model but personalized to the consumer in their market. So therefore, Indonesia, the website will suddenly become in Bahasa, it will be in Indonesian Rupiah, and it will be products from local suppliers in Indonesia, and everything will be for local Indonesian resellers and customers. So somebody in Indonesia franchised my business to then operate it in Indonesia. Do I personally operate it? No, I'm just a headquarters. So what I do is sustain the technology I replicate the technology for somebody else to pioneer it in their country and I give them a guideline on how to market. But of course, they can personalize, they can change the guideline because obviously they know their local market better. So my marketing campaign for Singapore may not work for Indonesians. But that is how I got into 10 countries. Actually, at some point, we even expanded up to 16. We cut back a little bit, uh, but now I think we're around 14. Last year itself, I replicate this business and franchise it every month to a new country. We entered Sri Lanka last year. We were in Maldives, uh, Cambodia, New Zealand, Indonesia. So, and uh, we signed for Bangladesh very recently. And we are in talks for a, um, the UAE, the GCC region, to take up for Kazakhstan, uh, to for, sorry, not Kazakhstan. That is a Central Asia market, also in discussion. Uh, but for Bahrain, for Dubai, um, so, so Saudi Arabia. So a lot of people love this business model and then they call me to replicate it. And that's how I make my money. So to be honest, my company can only be the size it is and the value of what it is is because somebody loved it and I was open to replicate it. And that's how it just, you know, give birth to many twins. So within one month, we enter a country. And uh, this happened for a lot of brands. If you don't realize it, for example, brands like The Body Shop, uh, for example, brands like Starbucks, it's all about replicating, franchising the business, replicating in another place. You don't have to run it. You can stay as head office, but you only guide your franchise partner who is investing money to now own a piece of a pie for their country. So how do these partners earn from me? They have to pay investment and licensing fee. So they have to put an upfront capital for us to replicate the technology. Again, I don't lose money, so I only earn. And then uh, they have to pay licensing fee every year to stay exclusive partner. And at the same time, for every profit that they earn in the business, the head office earns 40%. So you can tell that as a lot of money going back to the business without the business actually operating by the CEO at all. So I don't really touch the customers in other countries. I don't really know them in person. I may or may not even be at any events they organize. And they or may never know the CEO as well because it's led by the managing director who is a franchise partner for the business. So that's how I expand my business. 
from something that starts in Singapore into six countries when we raised capital funding and then we went on to replicate, replicate and franchise it. Now, replication is money. So the moment people want your brand, which means you are in demand, you have the right to charge them money because you need to house your technology, the server, and to give them support. So because of that, you don't need a lot of investors. Why? Because these franchise partners are technically also investors, but they're investing for operational. So they're not investing for shares, they're investing money so that they can operate in their country and make longer pro and make bigger profit at that time. And a lot of people are looking uh, with capital, let's say they have 10, 20, 30, 50,000 dollars, they're looking for business opportunities to franchise. So there's a big market there. Uh, actually, that's the end of my slides, uh, but I have a lot of questions. So I'm going to ask a couple of, I'm going to answer a couple of questions. Thank you so much. Uh, six questions to be exact. Okay. Uh, the first question, can you share with us a little more about your personal journey and the challenges to get to where? Now, this is lengthy, so I'm going to save you for last, if you don't mind. Uh, okay, next. In your opinion, popular sites like Lazada is a busy marketplace. Are they trying to do too much? That's a very good question. Now, Lazada business model as a marketplace, they're aiming to get the largest inventory. So Lazada carries about half a million inventory and some from unverified um, sellers. And they encounter a lot of problems, okay, because products are not delivered, there have been scams, and then our product is severely delayed, refunds not returned. And I have some fair share of bad experience with Lazada, which makes me completely not shop with them. Because they focus on quantity, they lack quality. And sometimes remember, they do it not because they are a own business. This kind of company, for your information, guys, Lazada, they are, they are meant for short term, which means less than 10 years, and they are not meant to feed one person. They are a profit of a wide range of investors. So they're about growing fast and growing wide and growing uh, in terms of revenue the fastest possible. So this business, to be honest, if you ask me, it's not sustainable. I believe that after 10 years, they're going to have a problem with traction unless they're pumped with more money. Uh, because people will have bad experience since there's too much quantity that the quality is reduced. I rather buy slightly more expensive of a similar product on another website that can give me better service. Because that other website is more focused on a selected number of suppliers instead of a big marketplace like this. So that is one. Uh, now the next one. So again, okay, I'm gonna actually go online to answer these questions so at least you can see me a little bit more personalized. Uh, I've stopped the slides anyway. All right, uh, let's get the camera so you can see me. Okay, good morning everybody. Okay, the next question. How do you check which product or services are in demand at the moment? Now, the best person to tell you these answers are general people in your current circle. So if you can start asking surveys to your friends, to your network, shoot out as many survey forms online, you most likely will get some answers and indication about what people are looking out for. So for example, let's say I run a survey on my Facebook right now, which has about 5,000 friends, and I ask them, how much money do they spend a month on beauty products? And people will say, yeah, I spend $100. Usually I spend on lipstick, a mascara, and some skincare products. So all this information is for you to analyze and therefore plan what kind of product you should sell. So the best answer for people to give you are always people within your immediate circle. If you're based in Singapore, there's no point running a survey for the America, for UK, for Australia, because those landscape of business doesn't affect you. 
always look as close as possible to your inner circle, but you still need a wide range of circle. You cannot ask three friends and conclude a landscape. You cannot do that. So consider about running a bigger circle. For example, running a survey for multiple times on social media. Join private groups where people are talking about a, a, a similar topic in beauty and run that surveys in private groups on Facebook. So you get more and more people within the same um, demographic to give you accurate content on what they're looking out for. Now, content can change. So be informed that whatever people tell you today doesn't, it's not set in stone, it's not forever. So next month, you wanna run another survey to find out and be more affirmed about whether the demand is still the same or has changed. What's the most important single advice you would give a newbie who wants to start an e-commerce business? Now, uh, the most single advice I would like to give is to be very patient. I want you to understand that effort that you put in the business is not an overnight success. Nobody has ever achieved overnight success. So therefore, it takes time. So some people give up business after three months or six months. It's because they feel they put in effort, but they don't see the results that they want. But also because they have unrealistic goals. So sometimes if you are at a loss of where your business is going towards and whether you're going in the right path, consider a small investment to get a coach to, to help you get back in direction. So for me, if you want an advice, give time for your business to grow. A business is like a seed. The seed will need, in the beginning, when the seed becomes a plant, you will need to nurture it, okay, with air, with, uh, with food, with fertilizers, with sunlight. So this is the work that you put in. You're harvesting work. But at some point, it will become a plant, the plant will become a tree. And once it becomes a tree, your business doesn't need you. Most likely, it goes autopilot. The community will start generating money itself. So the business will start to become easier to run when your plant becomes a tree. And then when you replicate the business, of course, you become a forest because you're replicating the trees. So you have more trees. And that's when you make your million dollar, when you own the forest. So it starts from a seed. The hard work is in the beginning, but it doesn't have to be a long time. It depends on how smart you run it. Next, why do you think about Shopify and Squarespace? Would it not be easier to create an e-commerce store using these platforms rather than hiring a developer and building a website from scratch? Now, Shopify and Squarespace is a very easy B2C uh, platform, which is correct. Now, um, they have templates, and as long as the template is accustomed to what you like, it's not a problem. But I have seen people who also use Shopify and Squarespace, but they lack design, design, um, it's not a skill, they like the design uh, look. So, for example, some people doesn't know certain font cannot match with the color. Some people doesn't know that in one page should not have multiple colors. They don't know that in one page, in, in one website page, you should not have too much photos or too little words or too much words and too little photos. They don't have this eye for detail, eye for design. Therefore, when you have a developer, a developer will help you figure that out. So you might end up paying slightly more or less. To be honest, developer is cheaper than Shopify. Believe me, it's actually cheaper. I hire a developer in Bangladesh and I pay one time fee a US $200 and I park it on my server that I pay less than $5 a month. On Shopify, for example, on Squarespace, you can pay 19 US dollars a month up to 60 US dollars a month. And that's way more. So, and some features that I want, for example, a reseller platform. So I want a referral code. Some Shopify and Squarespace, I don't know, but they might not have the plugins specifically to what I want. But if you have a developer, anything you want can be coded. It can be coded. So a developer actually build it from scratch. So think about it. Either pay one-time website development for two to $500, maintain your server at $5 a month, or pay $60 for the next five years trying to sustain your website. 
So that cost is up to you, how you want to manage. Of course, if you're a developer in Singapore paying 2000 probably not worth it. But if you know this business is going to last you for the next five years, three years, two years, and you're serious about building it, I suggest use a developer. Um, the business idea requires high capital to begin. Can you share the process of finding investors? Uh, process of finding investors is, is a, it's not an easy process. It's a complicated process, uh, but it's a doable process. Uh, it's very simple. In this case, I'm just going to keep it short. If you want to find investors, uh, number one, you need to have a compelling idea that is sustainable uh, and profitable. Now, investors doesn't want to burn money, so they're looking for profit profitable business ideas. Uh, and secondly, you need to go and find them. So you need to know where the investors look around. If you're looking for angel investors, they're the easiest to find. Angel investors are people who are funding their own private money. That means if, let's say, they're an executive, they earn 10K a month, most likely they have surplus in their savings and they would be a potential angel investors. Let's say somebody get a bonus end of the year, a, 6, uh, a, a 16,000 bonus. So they're also potentially an angel investors. The good news is angel investors is all over LinkedIn. It's a professional site. And they're looking for business opportunities all the time. You can either go via an investment group or you can also post your own uh, business idea on LinkedIn and you might attract a couple of people who want to find out more. But of course, if people register their interest, make sure that you have a business pitch deck to help them understand the flow of how the business is going to grow, how it's going to sustain or how you're going to exit and what is the potential forecast that you will grow to become in the next few years. Anonymous, I, the next one, thanks for sharing the inspiring story and experience. Do you think the same model and strategy will also apply to luxury brands and products? Yes, some of the biggest e-commerce business are about luxury brands. Now, luxury brands, I know you think it's expensive. Maybe half of us would even spend $5,000 on a bag, but there is a specific group of people, the niche of people who will be willing to spend that. And because they can, lucky for them, okay, they can afford a $5,000 Gucci bag, I can't afford that. So basically, they can spend this. And the good thing about this is people who most likely buy luxury brands are already in a very strong financial capacity to do everything else. A means they will most likely buy again because they're probably millionaires. And B, they can also switch to become your investors if they like your business model. Why? Because they have money. If somebody can afford a $5,000 Gucci bag from an e-commerce platform and think that you have a potential to grow, that person could be your angel investor suddenly pumping 30000 and I know a company in Singapore, which is, uh, I, think, I, I think some of you might know this company called Style Tribute. So Style Tribute is an e-commerce platform that actually sells pre-loved luxury products. And their angel investors are their own customers. $300,000 was raised via angel investors in who are their customers. One million, they raised it via a VC. But, so they raised 1.3 million. But 300,000 was actually from their customers. And you know why? Because the customers are rich. Anybody who buys a $5,000 bag most likely is earning, I don't know, $1 million a year. So I, even if you earn $200,000 a year, you probably won't spend $5,000 on a bag every three months, right? So you know that kind of people is worth to attract. You need to find them deeper, okay? It's a bit harder to really exclusively filter them in the social network, but they're there. So the effort is worth it. So if you want to enter luxury game, that's a lot of money. Okay, let's go back to the uh, first question, the last one. Uh, can you share uh, with us a little bit more of my personal journey, the challenges uh, to get where you are? Uh, now, I want you to bear in mind that uh, a lot of people start a business as a single person, as a person who either is not married or a person without children. 
um, it is uh, not as common uh, for somebody to build a scalable business uh, after they have children. So I start out, so I always say that mothers pay a different price to be successful because the challenges that I usually have is of course trying to balance out motherhood, uh, especially as I am in that, uh, as well as building a business. And again, not just a business, but a scalable company. Uh, uh, up to speed right now, just letting you know that uh, my, my eldest son is a teenager. So when I started the business, uh, he was four. The second one was two and the last one was a newborn. So uh, at that time, uh, my, my family was struggling with the uh, finance. So we couldn't make bills end of the month and we were taking so much loans uh, to sustain our family of five, which is why I started my first e-commerce business selling hair clips. And then uh, over the years with investors coming in, I invested in businesses. So I'm also an angel investor. Uh, and at the same time now, I run multiple scalable e-commerce business in beauty space, uh, in education, uh, in uh, training and consultancy as well. Uh, but my challenge is finding that balance. And I know a lot of people will be telling you that, oh, you have to work 60 hours a week or 80 hours a week when you build a business. Um, I tried that method and I realized that that's a very, very heavy price to pay for your personal well-being. So my suggestion is always to have a proper time management. And if you feel that you should be giving eight hours a day for your business and the rest of the day uh, to do something that enhance your skills or, you know, by taking up a course or uh, by taking care of your health uh, or doing sports that makes you happy, you should. Um, what people fail to do is that they invest so much time uh, in trying to build the business in the first two years that it wore them down. And remember, business in the first two years is challenging. The most challenging years is the first two years. If you break through these two years, you'll survive two decades. Uh, it's only the first two years of, of every start of the first business. And uh, because you don't see results instantly, people get demotivated, they get physically worn out, they get mentally drained. Uh, they lost a sense of direction. It becomes suicidal. It becomes uh, very depressing. And that's when people close off the idea of running a business. Uh, and that is one of my personal challenges in the beginning because I realized that I had invested so much in my business uh, in building it that I lost time with my children. And I traveled a lot in the first two years of the first business. And I realized that I don't have to do it anymore. If I plan the foundation right in the first two years, I do not have to sacrifice the next five years uh, with time as a mother. And uh, I think I did it quite good enough. Uh, so the third year onwards, I stopped traveling um, as much uh, and I focused on motherhood as much as I do on business. It makes me happy. And when I'm happy, I realize that I build businesses easier. You know, even if I don't achieve my goal for that day, I'm like, okay, you know, tomorrow I'll just try harder. But I wasn't depressed or I wasn't sad. So that is my personal uh, challenge. Uh, but it may not apply to everybody else. Uh, it's just that whenever you start a business, it's not going to be easy, but you are the most important person in the business. You are the driver of the business. So it is not even your investor's interest to see you depressed. So just make sure that you find a balance of what keeps you happy and always, always lifelong learning, always open to continuous learning. I think that's it. I've answered everybody's question. Uh, thank you so much uh, for asking me. I guess I, I return this uh, screen back to Sophia. All right, thank you, Lisa. Thank you for participating in today's webinar. We hope you bring back new information and knowledge for your business as well as uh, for personal basis. So um, please help to complete the feedback form once you exit from this webinar. A big thank you again to Lisa, Lisa Clank, for your insightful sharing, your wealth of knowledge, 
and experiences. So uh, join us next Thursday for another breakfast session with the co-founder of Give Asia. For those keen to learn more about a new way of giving. So uh, stay safe and well, and see you on our next webinar. Thank you, everyone. See you. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. Bye.